Amen. Why don't we stand together? Amen. Are you thankful to be here tonight? Amen. I'm thankful to be here. Amen. Why don't we open this service with a time of prayer? Invite the Lord here. His presence is already here. We want him to have his way. Amen. Lord Jesus, we seek after you tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for your presence that we feel here, God. We're thankful for the opportunity to fellowship with you, to be in your presence, oh God. Jesus, we're thankful for the great things that you've already done for us, God. And we're thankful, Lord, for all that you have in store for us. Jesus, we seek after you tonight. We long for your presence. We long for the manifestation of your spirit, Lord Jesus. God, we want to fellowship with you. We want to hear from you, O God. We want to be involved in your work and participate with you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. I give you praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I give you glory, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think it would be in order if you just lifted your hands to the Lord tonight. Show him that you are surrendered to him. Show him that you're here to worship him. Jesus, I give you praise. I give you thanks, Lord. I worship you, Lord Jesus. I bow myself before you, Lord God. I humble myself, Lord Jesus, that you would be exalted. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we are longing for your spirit. We're longing for your spirit, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, have your way here tonight, God. Lord, we want the flow of your spirit. We want the flow of your voice and your word, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, you are holy. You are wonderful, Lord Jesus. There is none like you, O God. There is none like you and none beside you. You are the King of kings. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I open my spirit to you right now, God. Lord, I open my heart to you. I open my mind to you. Lord, in your name, I desire to fellowship with you. I want to know you in a greater way, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. I give you praise, Lord. I give you praise and glory, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm reminded I was reading to my children recently about the birth of Jesus. And we were talking about how he was born in a manger, in a stable, where the livestock are kept. And comparing that to what you would have thought a king might have been born in, a golden crib or silver laden, something fancy and special. And, and I reminded them, can you believe this? He was the king. And I don't even remember which one. One of them said, the highest king. And I thought, that's right. He is the highest king. The king over all kings. The Bible says he's the Lord of lords. He's the highest. He reigns in the highest. That's even what the angels said. Glory to God in the highest. Why don't we praise him one more time? Jesus, I give you praise. You are exalted, Lord Jesus. You reign over all the earth. Let there be praise given to your name, Lord Jesus. Let your name be magnified, Lord Jesus. Be thou exalted, O God. Be thou exalted, O God. There is none like you, Jesus. You are so wonderful, Jesus. You are excellent, Lord God. You are perfect, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are full of wonder. You are full of awe, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise, O God. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is none like you, Jesus. You are my King. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. I thank you for it. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's be seated. Um, Elder Hart asked me if I might want to take a couple of minutes and just talk to you a little about our trip. I did stay, uh, myself, Brother Gonzalez and Brother Mark Kendrick stayed a couple of days longer. Um, and uh, it's interesting, the, uh, you know, ministry just seemed to flow from the time we hit the ground, uh, no matter where we were, if we were in a car, if we were in a restaurant, if we were in a hotel lobby, there was just ongoing ministry between the group that went. There was seven of us, uh, including Brother Laksamana. And, um, of course, I, I'm still marveling at the flow of ministry that took place in the conference that we were at. Uh, we kind of dubbed it a hybrid conference because it was a district conference and then we did whatever it is that we do uh, there in the middle of all that, and it seemed like the Lord just really moved uh, among the people. How many have ever, how many's never been out of the country? I think it was Brother Heiner and Brother Kendrick both. No, 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 Brother Kendrick, he's been all over the place. 
Brother Johnstone, yeah, they they had, uh, this was all very new to them, and um, it was a great experience. I, you know, Brother Johnstone shared with us that he was told that he was the first American ever to visit the church that he preached at on Sunday, and he said as he approached the place and all that he saw and coming in to see all that they did with so little, he said, I wept for the first 20 minutes. And so he was greatly, greatly impacted. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I realized some time ago is, you know, you don't necessarily feel like you have authority everywhere you go. Authority to minister. Uh, and for me, that was kind of a road of, you know, being very local at one time, and then it seemed to expand to different places as I traveled and then became very evident. Um, and so for an individual who has ministered on the local scene and then to go abroad and be involved in ministry and experience the, uh, the flow of ministry and the authority to minister, um, is very impacting to an individual. Brother Kendrick made some comments on Sunday, uh, that he expressed appreciation that the ministry that he had received through the years had prepared him to go and be a part and do all that he did. Um, the Philippines obviously is a uh, very different country than we have here in America. Some of the roads have lines on them. Some of the cars actually use the lines. Very few. I didn't think only on the freeway. Um, if there is, well, it didn't matter how many lanes there are. There's typically six abroad. Everybody vying for positions from semi-trucks, buses, cars, motorcycles, many, many, many motorcycles, bicycles, and what they call a tricycle, which is literally a taxi, on three wheels, some have motors, some they pedal, and that's the cheapest form of transportation. But if you can imagine all of this all the time on the same roads and everybody vying for position, uh, it is something to behold. Now, I think, personally, I think the riding there is treacherous. Uh, you know, you have to make a mental adjustments and sometimes you just don't want to, you don't want to watch. When I left the service that I ministered to on Sunday, the young man that was driving at one point, you know, the restaurant we were going to was over there and we were way over here. There were six lanes and he just turned the car and headed across. I looked to my right and there was a bus going 45 miles an hour. He says, it's okay. They'll stop. They know me, or I know them, or something, and I'm thinking, sure. Now, there is, they do, there does seem to be kind of a golden rule that you only want to be traveling at a speed that at any given moment you could come to a complete stop, because there are constantly people pulling in front, pulling in front, and pulling in front, and I don't, did we ever see a collision? Oh, that's true. And that was on the highway. Yeah. One collision that we saw in all of that. 
and it was it was just masses. You may have shared that one day we drove 68 miles in four hours. How far is it to Prosser? 50 miles? Four hours. So we spent a lot of time in vehicles. Uh, we were thankful for the air conditioning, but we got tired of the air conditioning. Because you couldn't be outside. It was so, I mean, it was just so uh, humid and hot. Um, food is interesting. If you're talking to a group of Filipinos, they will say, did you like the food? Now, if you're going to be honest, you have to come up with an answer and say, well, you know, it was really interesting. (laughs) And I could tell for the other Filipinos, it was very familiar. But to say it was good, well, maybe there was a couple items that was okay. (laughs) Very different. A lot of fish and a lot of the smell of fish. I don't know how they seem to just get it in everything. And everywhere. You're You're looking around for fish heads. It's very strong. The, uh, the people, you know, they are, they're a beautiful people. They're a warm people. They're a, a loving people. They are so kind, and they speak better English than I do. I mean, they speak proper English. You don't find much slang. It just caught my attention one day. They were giving me my credit card back at the hotel, and they said, thank you for presenting your credit card. You know, there was never a, hey, thanks. There was no short answers. Everything was long. It was very proper and great communication, I thought. The, uh, we sat down after Sunday and kind of debriefed, I think, for a couple of hours, and each person shared how each person's experience was so different than the other. When I got to where they were taking me, they had already Googled me. They had our picture, my wife and I, up on a screen, a shot off the Internet from Italy. And it said that I was the uh, senior editor of the Apostolic Herald. (laughs) Well, that was kind of information that was, oh, 14, 15 years old. And then they said I was the dean of the Purpose Institute of Puyallup. So they were feeling pretty good about all this information they'd scraped up when I walked in. And Oh, yeah, that's kind of cute, you know. But I didn't tell them the timeline of any of that stuff. And then when some of the others showed up, they said, you're not on Facebook. In other words, you could tell they were looking for pictures, information, and they wanted to do some research on each of us. Um, you know, there are times in ministry when there is, uh, if I can say it this way, role shifting, you know, depending on who you're with, where you are, there's shiftings that take place. What was interesting about being in that meeting and the group that was assembled there, I'm talking about from, from Life Church, all, all I could recognize was a bunch of empty vessels and the Spirit and Word of God that was flowing through each one. 
And as Mark said on Sunday, you would have thought we had sat down and, you know, made a list. You know, you take, you touch this area, I'll touch this area. You do this and I'll do that and it'll all. Now, of course, you know, there was none of that. But by what you would have witnessed, that, that's what you would have imagined had taken place. And so we felt very good about our involvement there. And the timing of it all. And believe that the hand of God was, of course, in it all. Um, I wonder, is there anybody you have a question about that trip or about the Philippines that I could answer to you for? Any questions at all? We started on an evening service. Do you remember what day that was? Monday or Tuesday? Monday afternoon, and then it was Tuesday all day, starting in the morning, going into the evening. And then Wednesday we flew out. Wednesday we drove out. So it was two days, but it was like nonstop, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Brother Hart said 12 sessions in that day and a half. There was about, they were saying around 200 people. I'd say it was probably a little short of that. Uh, pastors and their wives. I, I was appreciative of the fact that they were all ministers. Now, let me say this to you. It is easier oftentimes to minister where there's only a few ministers. And I'm going to tell you why. People, we, us common folk, we engage. What happens when you get a room full of pastors? You know, everybody's kind of keeping each other at bay. And so when we walked in there, the feeling that we had was not positive. It was like us on one side of the room, them on the other side of the room. And there was like this divide and I'll just say that you know sometimes it's that way but but we also know that to impact as many people as possible we had to be able to impact that group now in ourselves we we don't have a clue what to do how to do how to approach but as we waited on the Lord God gave direction every single moment and you can count on that. There was a tremendous breakthrough there. I, I think right from the very beginning. And that's why there was such a strong flow of ministry. Any other questions? Okay. No. There's a hundred million Filipinos in the Philippine Islands. There's 40 million Filipinos outside of the Philippines. There's a lot of Filipinos on the planet. Um, let's go back to the driving. 
There's a place called the Tagatai region, which is a mountainous, hilly ridge, road on top. We had gone up there to see a friend that I had met a year ago up there, and he had bought a hotel or something, and so we, he wanted us to see it and take us to dinner. We did all that. Well, then we had to drive home in the dark with Brother Laksamana driving. Uh, he's not been driving there a long time. And the air conditioning puts like a film over the windows a little bit. Well, at nighttime, that's pretty hard to see. There's, and the lighting is not good. And for some reason, you know, there was two lanes on our side. But at any given moment, there could be a tree in the middle of that right lane. I mean, a big tree. And Brother Lakshmana said, I don't get it. They draw the line up to it, and they draw the line around the tree, and then they keep drawing the line. They'll have a little stick with a reflector in front of it. Or there'll be a telephone pole. Or there'll be people walking, wearing black, in the dark. And so I was on the right side in the front, and so I was watching with him. I was watching him to see what he was looking at, and I was watching ahead, and I'd say, Tree! There's a tree! People! There's people! He'd swerve. And I thought to myself, how could they have done this? But it was seemed to be everywhere. And, uh, or the road could just drop off on the side. But you didn't necessarily want to drive in the left lane either. Because those cars going the other direction, they didn't stay on that side of the line. Anyhow, uh, it was very interesting and treacherous to ride in cars over there. Now, get this. You ever been to, anybody been to New York City? What's the sound of New York City? Beep, beep, honk, honk. Get out of my way. You know, there was none of that. Once in a while, you'd hear a beep, but that was usually just somebody saying, hey, I'm coming up side of you. Look out. Go around. And so what is interesting is the majority of their driving is you just show intent. And if you can get your nose in front of anything, you got the right of way. And everybody backs away a little bit. However, they do have guys riding motorcycles in that traffic texting. <laughs> Saw it with our own eyes. Weaving in and out of cars. Brother Laksamana says there's reports daily on the news of people getting killed on motorcycles there. I guess they just accept it as a fact of life or death. <laughs> Praise God. It was a great trip. I, I thought there was one interesting uh, session. At the very end, we were praying, and uh, I saw the Lord use Brother Hart in a special way. You know, you're, you're there doing what you just know to do and availing yourself, but you have to count on the Lord doing everything else. For maximum impact, it has to be a work of God. It cannot be a work of man. A work of man will not last. And uh, I observed as he was praying, there was a shift in his prayer. 
And there was an authority that came in his praying that affected the whole group. It's exciting to witness those kinds of things taking place. Amen? I was glad that Elder Hart decided to go after all. He was kind of resisting it from the very beginning. Because humanity, we were all saying the same thing to each other. It's like, man, the day before the flight, it's like, man, I didn't even want to go. Humanity and the pressures also of ministry that would like to have kept anything from taking place. These are just reality things. Thank you for going. And availing yourself to the Lord. It was powerful. Praise God. Who am I turning this back over to? Praise God. It was a privilege to go. It really was. I had my family pray for me the day before. I said, man, I don't know if something's wrong. I don't want to go. I was, real, I, was, I was feeling bad. That's too transparent. I was like, I'm, I think I remember when Bishop and Sister Schoonover asked me. We were having dinner somewhere or something, or I don't know if it was after service or something, asked about going. He said, you want to go to the Philippines? I said, I think my response was, well, not really. Um, you know, the we talked quite a bit Sunday about vessels, about being vessels. And Bishop alluded to that and what we witnessed. And I shared, we shared some of that Sunday, what we witnessed among the different ones and the vessels that were there. Um, I, I think the Lord will definitely allow us to be involved in things we want to be involved in on the journey in ministry. Um, as we seek to, by his grace, grow in him, um, he expects that there comes an understanding that we don't get to pick and choose. He does. And um, I'm still learning that. Uh, but I think that's important as a vessel that we know he picks and chooses. We don't. Um, amen. I want to share. Some, I want to take a few minutes tonight. Um, I felt like the Lord was dealing with my heart about something this morning. I'd never really given to thought to in this passage of scripture before. Um, the book of Genesis, we know the story of Joseph. I'm not going to try to read a ton of scripture tonight. I just want to, uh, I want us to see something in this story. The Lord began talking to me about a little bit this morning. Um, we know, of course, that Joseph is a type and shadow of Christ. Um, betrayed by his brothers, but yet a redeemer of them. Uh, Christ betrayed by the Jews, but yet the purpose of redeeming them. And uh, so we see a lot in Joseph's life. Um, 
probably one of the the stories of the scripture that I find myself going back to more often than many others for whatever reason. I love the book of Genesis anyway. That's probably another reason. But Joseph, of course, was sold by his brothers. Um, he had dreams. God gave him dreams. And in his zeal, we'll call it his excitement about what God had revealed to him in dreams, in that excitement, he began to just share it. And he probably thought, I would assume, that, you know, they're going to think this is neat. I want to, you know, it's neat. You ever share something with somebody and you thought it was neat and they didn't necessarily think so? (laughs) No pointing fingers. But um, that's sort of what happened to Joseph, right? He, He shared it. He was excited because God had dealt with him in a dream. And um, made his brothers, the scripture says, they hated him the more. Of course, his dad just pondered the things that were shared. Um, So they sold him, dropped him into a pit. Some slave traders came along. They took the opportunity to make some money, took him up out of the pit, sold him off. He went down into Egypt Began to work in a man named Potiphar's house. Most of you know the story, right? You can read it in the last 10, 10 chapters of Genesis. Potiphar's house, he began to apply himself. The scripture says of him when he was there, and the Lord was with Joseph. Sometimes it's hard to see the Lord is with us in the circumstances of life. And it would be easy to look for ways out rather than see God in. But the scripture says, and the Lord was with. Here, I don't want you to take my word for it. Genesis chapter number 39. Verse 1. I want you to see this. Genesis 39, 1. So this is after he's been sold. The the party that he's been sold to has now sold him off once they got to Egypt. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. He was a slave. He was purchased. He bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Well, if we stopped there, it thinks, man, what a lot in life. But verse 2 says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. Almost doesn't go together, does it? And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Here's a Hebrew. Here's an Egyptian. The Egyptian owns the Hebrew. He was sold by his brothers, wronged for a dream, and the Lord is with him. 
and he's prosperous. Now, as if that's not enough, look at the third verse. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. It was evident to the world that the Lord was with him. I don't know if it was evident to Joseph or not. The scripture doesn't let us have that insight. I wonder about that. I wonder if he felt like the Lord was with him or not. But the scripture declares he was. And the world recognized that the Lord was with him. There are circumstances you will be in in life. And that I will be in in life. And if you've lived any time, you've been in in life. That if you and I focus on the circumstances, we may question whether the Lord is there. If we're focused on the circumstances. Circumstances are not an indicator of whether the Lord is there or not necessarily. The Lord was with him. The master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord in that condition and in that place made all that Joseph did prosper. Question. Did that benefit Joseph? I mean, it prospered. Who did it benefit? Potiphar, his owner, the Egyptian. But we read in verse number two that Joseph was a prosperous man. See, it's very difficult for us not to think in the natural. And so when we read that word, all that he did, made all that he did to prosper, we think about how it prospered an Egyptian in the natural. We don't consider that the Lord was doing a spiritual work in Joseph's life that was prospering him spiritually. And that happens to us. We look for things in the natural to be the measure of whether God's prospering us or not. And the Lord is using his captivity to prosper him. And to reveal that the hand of the Lord is on him to those in the world. I didn't plan to say all that. Let's get to where I think we're going. So Joseph's there in Potiphar's house. Potiphar sees the hand of the Lord on him, sees so much that's happening that Potiphar puts all that he has in Joseph's hand, the scripture says, his whole house. Turns it over to this Hebrew. And Potiphar's wife began to desire Joseph, turned her eyes on him. You can read it there in that chapter. She began to appeal to him. Joseph, a man of integrity, a man of God, a man of moral character, says to her, look, your husband, my master's not withheld anything in my house except in his house except you. Why would I do this thing to him? And he continues to resist her reaching towards him until finally one day when he's in the house, she lays hold on him. Seeking to prefer, preserve his integrity, he wrestles himself out of his coat and flees. 
Well, her feeling the shame of rejection when her husband comes, well, she screams and guards or whatever come in. And then when her husband comes home, she has Joseph's coat that she held on to and she fabricates the story that said this Israelite, this Hebrew that you brought into our house tried to take advantage of me today. And when I cried out, he fled and I held his coat. And of course, Potiphar believed his wife lying about Joseph and Joseph was sent to prison. It's interesting. Verse 20 of the same chapter. Watch this. Joseph's master took him. And notice where he put him. He put him in the prison, but not just anywhere in the prison. He put him in the prison in a place where the king's prisoners were bound. Why was Joseph, a Hebrew, put in the place where king's prisoners were bound? Well, you know the whole story. Was he the king's prisoner? No. But yet, the wrong actions, the dishonest actions of Potiphar's wife caused his master to put him in a place where king's prisoners were bound, even though he wasn't a prisoner of the king. It would seem that the Lord's hand was in all of this and that him ending up in the place where king's prisoners were bound spoke to the fact that he really was a prisoner of the king. He just didn't know it yet. I mean, it's one thing for your brothers to sell you and you start making a life for yourself that maybe you resign to the fact this is better than what I could have hoped. I'll be thankful. And then this lady lies and everything's ripped from you in a moment, it would seem. And now you're in prison. Watch verse 21. (laughs) But, see what that says? The Lord was with Joseph. How is God with me in this? How could this be God? The Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy. Are you kidding me? Is this what mercy looks like? Apparently so. When God is directing a man's steps, a God who knows the end from the beginning, this is what mercy looks like. Showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord's with him. The Lord's with them. The Lord's with them. Now in verse 40, or in chapter 40, again, we're not going to read a lot of scripture. We find that in time to come, all of the prison is under Joseph's hand. He's still a prisoner, but it's all under his hand. And the king's butler and baker end up in prison. They have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. Telling the baker, hey, in three days, the king's going to take your head off. Telling the butler, in three days, the king's going to restore you to your rightful place. 
Watch verse 14 of chapter 40. He's speaking to the butler that's going to get returned to his position in the king's palace. And Joseph says to the butler, think on me when it shall be well with thee. In other words, he's saying, hey, remember me when you get back into that desirable place. Think on me when it shall be well with thee and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me to Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. Just in case you think he didn't really want to be out of there. Watch verse 15. This is the only time I can find this language in Joseph's speech. Watch verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also... Have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon? This may seem harsh. This is the only time I find Joseph speaking as a victim. It's the only time in all of the chapters that I find him speaking as a victim of his circumstances. There's something significant that happens with you and I in our walk with God and in our journey and relationship with God. When we move from a place where our communication about where God has us is no longer communication from a place of being a victim. Something happens. There's some element in God working in our life and our coming to a, and, and please don't misunderstand me. I understand it takes time. It takes a process. It's take, it takes the work of the spirit of God. But there is a difference that begins to shift in how the Lord can work with us and through us. And our relationship with him. When the language of a victim is no longer part of our communication. It's interesting when if you fast forward from this all the way to chapter 45, I believe it is. Yeah, chapter 45. Some times passed here. The butler didn't remember him right away. I think it was almost three years until the butler... Until Pharaoh had a dream, and then the butler's like, oh, ah, I forgot. Three years. And Joseph's brought up, interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh puts him over in charge of all the kingdom and all this process. We know that story. In time, his brothers come down, right? They need food. They're hungry. They come down. Watch what happens, verse 45. His brothers have gone back and forth. We're now at the point where Joseph is going to reveal himself to his brothers. This would be a good time for Joseph to bring back that victim language. I mean, wouldn't you agree? This is a good time to say, this is what you did to me.
watch. Verse 45, or chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. So he cleared the room so no Egyptians were in the room. Verse 2, he wept aloud, and the Egyptians the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said to his brethren, watch his words, I'm Joseph, doth my father yet live? Well, that's a stark reality all of a sudden. And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph said to his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, they're probably bracing themselves and going, here it comes. Next verse. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves. He's taking all this responsibility off of them. What about them feeling some guilt and grief and shame? Don't be angry. Don't be with yourselves. Don't be grieved that you sold me here. For watch his perspective now. God did send me. God did this. God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 6. For these two years has the famine been in the land, yet there are five years in the which there will be neither earring nor harvest. Verse 7. And he repeats himself. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Is it fair to say that Joseph understood God's purpose in his circumstances at this point? Yeah. I, for years, would battle with being a victim. You've heard the testimony of my life. I won't walk you back through it again. And I'd find myself getting pulled in. And then, but knowing God's healed me, God's delivered. What's going on? How? And it would be easy to begin to, in times of, should we say, despair, doubt, fear, whatever, circumstances changing. It would be easy to go back and begin to use what I'll refer to again as victim language. Well, this happened to me when I was young. This took place and therefore... Please don't misunderstand me tonight. I'm not saying the events of our life don't shape us and make defining marks in our life. But the scripture tells me and reveals to us that the work of Christ from the garden to the whipping post to Calvary was a work of complete healing for our lives. The healing of our mind, the healing of our body, the healing of our spirit. So that it's complete and whole. And so that I am no longer bound to the things that I was once a victim of. Because here's the reality. As long as I'm a... And I'm not trying to make cute little phrases, but it'll sound like it. As long as I'm a victim, I no longer walk in victory. The two don't go hand in hand. Victory doesn't come fully to the victim. Because I'm still in bondage to those things.
the plan of God when he redeemed us. Those things that held us in captivity, those things that held us in bondage, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the pain of the past, those things that held us captive when he redeemed me, when he redeemed you, when I went down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and he washed away sin, it redeemed me. That's why, you know, Acts 2.38 is often misquoted. Right? You've, you could quote it maybe. Now you're a little nervous. Like, hold on, if it's often misquoted. Acts 2.38, right? Then Peter said unto them, Help me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For the remission of what? The remission of sins. Right? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It doesn't say the remission of your sins. It just says the remission of sins. What does baptism in the name of Jesus Christ do? When I am truly repentant, when godly sorrow has come and taken hold of my life, and godly sorrow produces repentance not to be repented of. And this repentance process takes place. And I understand, I need the waters of baptism. I need a watery grave whereby the blood of Christ is applied to my life and I'm redeemed. I need this circumcision of my heart. So that I can be redeemed from all those things. What's it doing? It's purchasing me. To redeem is to purchase from. And so I'm purchased from the one I was slave to. I'm purchased and redeemed from those things that did hold me captive. And now I'm redeemed. I'm no longer. I'm free from those things. But I'm in bondage again. But I now serve a good master. Who everything he does, he does for my benefit and my good. It benefits his kingdom and it benefits my life. He redeemed me. And so when I go down in the watery grave in the name of Jesus Christ, it's for the remission of sins. Sins I've committed and sins that have been committed against me. Remission. Remission of sins. I believe the time from Joseph's language in verse 15 where we read in chapter 39 till those three years, I believe there was something that took place in his life where God began to reveal to him the purpose of his circumstances. And as he began to see it unfolding, I don't think God painted this picture on the wall that said, here's all your circumstances. This is what it all means. Right. We've if you've lived any length of time, you've had progressive revelation of what God's doing in your life. And you realize ah, that's what that was about. He had to teach me this. I had to learn that. Oh, he was he was doing something in me now because of what he saw 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. If you haven't lived long enough to see that, if the Lord tarries, you will. He's a God that doesn't know time. And so therefore he can work circumstances in our life that will affect his purpose years down the road. One of the places of healing that brings great victory and allows us to be a vessel that he can flow through more freely is when he heals us so that we're no longer a victim to the things of the past.
You've heard Bishop share the story. I can relate very much so. In hindsight, I understand how my childhood was probably the greatest blessing in my life. My sister and I have talked about that. Often we were the victim. We had to realize, no, it was a blessing. It was a blessing because it caused us to run to him constantly. It was a blessing because had we been raised by our biological father, the Lord alone knows where we would have ended up in life. And what would have been put in us and what we would have been taught and where our lives would have been directed. Stand with me tonight. He knows the end from the beginning. I was marked by this so clearly this morning. The difference between a victim and victory. The difference between a victim and victory. I'm not trying to make light of any pain you've suffered, you understand. But the Lord's suffering was to redeem you from that pain. So that you and I can live and walk in victory. Would you pray with me right now? In the name of Jesus. Would you let him reach into your life? And bring healing. Come on in faith tonight. Would you let him reach into your heart? Would you let him bring healing? Would you let him... Remove some deception that maybe the enemy's tried to plant to get you to hold on to victim language that is at times restricted things that God would want to do. Would you be willing to release some of those things to the Lord tonight and recognize Calvary paid it all? Lord, the pain, the hurt, those things in my life... I release language that speaks of being a victim. I need your healing in my life, Lord. I'm not dismissing it like it never happened, Lord. I'm bringing it to you and understanding you've paid the price. You bring healing. You bring healing. You bring healing, Father. I release it to you. I release it in forgiveness as you've forgiven me. So I forgive, Father. As the example of Joseph, so help me. Let me release and see your purpose in the circumstances. By the grace of God, I pray to see your purpose in the circumstances. That healing complete and whole would come. That victory complete and pure would come. In the name of Jesus. 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 You know, the Lord has dealt with us the last month, month and a half. Quite a bit about how we think, our thinking, the mind of Christ being renewed in our mind, the renovation of our mind. 
He's continued to talk to us about that. I believe this is an important part. It is a process. Purpose to allow him to have his process in your life. Sometimes it's acknowledging. You know what? I do fall back to being a victim quite a bit. For me, it was sort of like a crutch. Is that too plain? It was a crutch. It was something I could point back to. Well, this is why I'm the way I am. Well, hold on. I read something in Scripture about if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. See, the enemy wants to use the idea of being a victim to still hold us captive. When the Lord's saying, I'll make all things new. Does that mean he just causes you to completely forget all of that? No. What he does is he gives you and I his perspective in all of that. So that we can see how what Joseph said, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God's able to take the things that the enemy tried to use to harm, hurt, or destroy. And if I'll recognize God, use it for your purpose. God, let it serve your purpose. Let it serve your purpose. I'm not condoning or justifying it, but I'm releasing if there's responsible individuals. I'm forgiving as you've forgiven. And I'm purposing to find by the grace of God and the revelation of the Spirit of God, your purpose in this for your glory, for your kingdom. Who knows how many lives it'll save. What if you knew it would save 75 family members, your circumstances? If it meant the salvation of 75 family members. And then the carrying on of your family name to millions. You understand that's what Joseph represented. When his family came down, there were 75 of them that it saved. And Israel became great in the earth. But you know what it took? It took one man. One man. Submitting to God's process. And moving from being a victim. To seeing God's plan in his life. And yielding to it. Pray with me again. We're going to release you tonight in Jesus. Father, by your grace, by your spirit of revelation, by your grace and by your spirit of revelation, I pray an opening of understanding. Come on, talk to the Lord. Talk with the Lord. There's a work of his spirit taking place right now as we yield and allow him to do so. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, 
He's interested in complete and total healing in your life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The idea that you have to live feeling this way forever is a lie. The Lord has complete healing. He's trying to shift thinking. He's trying to help you understand. He has a purpose. He didn't choose to do that. Yes, it happened. But he can take it and use it for good as you and I yield to his purpose. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, when it would behoove us to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Itamale kororia la masitolo bokoreia tabaha. Irolobo sitilieki arabakashetele di arabahaye. Ikororia rabashetele di arabakayetele di arabahaye. Isoto re makie yeti aramaseto re amandele ki aramahaye. Isorori amaye ki atahaye. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Ilamate yorori alabakaye si atahaya. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, you should be. You should be. It's not just getting wet. It's not checking something off the list, God forbid. When you recognize the work of Calvary and the work of the blood. And you're willing to say, yes, Lord, in my life. You're buried. We're buried with Christ through baptism. In his name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.